If you've been listening to the Truest Fan Blueprints, you know that Phil and I want to see you, our listeners, succeed. And that's one of the reasons we've created a brand new program called the Truest Fan Roundtable. It's your way to take a test drive of our coaching and mentoring process, a process that will help you take your business and your life to new levels of success. And you can try it out for free. Just go to truestfancoaching.com forward slash free dash access and sign up. That's truestfancoaching.com forward slash free dash access. I hope to see you there. I know you've heard this saying before, never go to bed angry. And my guest today, Beth Blecker, learned that from her father a long time ago. And though she admits that she probably has gone to bed angry, she said she has used that saying as a way to remember to not hold grudges, to accept mistakes and things that happen in life and just move on. And I think that is great advice. Beth is also the author of the book, It's Not Just Money, It's Life. Um, She also has a podcast by the same name. You're going to learn a lot from Beth because she is a true financial planning professional that takes her role in that business, in this business, very seriously. Can't wait for you to hear what we talked about. You're listening to the Truest Fan Podcast. And now, here's your host, Rob Brown. Welcome, welcome. Time for another edition of the Truest Fan Podcast. And today, I am excited to have with us Beth Blecker, a friend, a client uh, who I've worked with for a number of years. And Beth is the founding partner of Eastern Planning and Nanuet. New York. She has been at this a long time. Beth is one of those people that I have met and had the good fortune of helping her with her business, but also the good fortune of learning a lot from her because Beth is just one of those people that loves to share good ideas and and spread some fun wherever she can. So welcome aboard, Beth. Thank you very much. So As I warned you, my first question in the podcast is always, who is your favorite baseball team? And I know, and this hurts me because I'll explain in a minute, but I'll let you say it. And and I really do have a favorite baseball team, so that's even more important. So my favorite baseball team is the New York Mets. And I know that you are a season ticket holder and have been for a long time. Exactly. Since my father got tickets when I was young. So yeah, so this is a family tradition. That is, you know, for those who may be listening to the podcast for the first time, one of my inspirations for the whole idea of coming up with concept of being a truest fan comes from the fact that I am a lifelong Cleveland Indians now Guardians fan. I just I love lifelong fans. And so as much as I'm not a fan of the Mets, I feel like they took a couple of players from us that I wish they didn't have. 
they um, Beth is a, a fan, a long stand, long standing fan of the Mets. Although those two guys that we got in return for Mr. Lindor, one of them is an All Star, and Mr. Lindor was not. So that's true. We didn't <laughs> always make the best of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the nature of trading in baseball: is yeah, you got to take the good ones with the uh, with the bad ones, but. Absolutely. But Frankie Lindor is certainly playing really well right now, and the Mets are uh, are in first place. So there's something good to be said about that. Yes. So awesome. So Mets fans. So that, that'll probably shape a little bit of our conversation. But to change gears and really jump into the meat of the conversation, my favorite question to ask to start is, you know, what's that one or maybe two or three piece of advice that you've gotten over the years, maybe from somebody in your family or a, or a mentor or a colleague that's really stuck with you and has helped kind of shape the way you take care of your family, the way you run your business? So it's a very strange saying, and I've heard it all my life from my mostly my father, but my mother as well. And they lived their life and they were married. My father passed away a few years ago, but they were married well over 60 years and they lived their life with the philosophy of you never go to bed angry. And although I don't know if I've actually obeyed that every single time and as I'm divorced, I probably didn't. But in my life, the conversation of not staying angry at somebody is crucial. And I think that is one of the things that keeps me able to run my business and just be able to live my life by trying never to hold a grudge. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice, especially in this crazy world that we live in right now. It seems like there are a lot of angry people around who think it's a good thing to run around angry and talk about how angry that you are, even if you can't explain it or even tell the person who made you angry that they made you angry because, you know, they live in D.C. and you live in (laughs) Florida, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Is there a way that you feel like that kind of carries out in the way that you, you know, run your business and serve your, your clients? It is because I believe in options and choices, not rights and wrongs. And I don't believe there's any one real right way. And I have developed in my financial planning of understanding that if I give the client the different options and choices and let them and help them to make a decision, just because I don't think that that's the right decision doesn't really matter because it's really their life and their plan and it has to be their right decision. And I think that that conversation of not having to have everything my way helps. Yeah. You know, and that's hard too, right? Because, you know, and it's the same for me as a, as a coach, because I'm sure there are times, maybe not with you, because you're such an awesome <laughs> client, where I suggest something to a client. I know it's the best thing for them to do. And, and I say, well, you know, and, and if you don't do that, maybe you this other way too. And they accept option B. And I'm like, no, 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 I really want you to accept option A. And if you let that stick with you, you kind of get in the way of that relationship. Right. And I'm lucky because I will tell you, see, I don't deal with the investing, so it makes it a little easier. But I will tell you that 
I've gotten to a point though that I can step away and say, listen, I get what you want and I get, and I get how you want to work, but that doesn't work for us at Eastern planning so that we're not the best advisors for you. So sometimes their way may not be something that I, I can handle, right. but I'm able to step away and say, you need to find somebody who does want to do it your way. Right. So it's not even just in with the clients that you work with, it may enter into the equation in deciding whether or not you're going to accept a client relationship. Because if the thing they don't want or that they want to do is not what you think is the best thing, sometimes you have to say no. And that's that's hard, turning business away. Yeah, it's very hard. You know, you talk about mentors and, and things like that, but I just realized that part of how that developed was from the book Raving Fans. Mm-hmm. And and there was one piece in the book, and I remember distinctly, a gas station, and they always cleaned the front window. And they did a great job cleaning the front window. And somebody said to them, but why don't you clean my back window? I'd be much happier if you clean my back window. And they said, no, we can't clean your back window. We have to clean your front window right, and we don't have enough time to do both. So we're going to do one right. And we're not going to do the other one. And that always stayed in my mind. There's a lot of great stories in raving fans, but sure. that one just always stayed in my mind that yeah. you just have to do what you do right. Yeah. You know, and that's another one of those crazy things in this world too, sometimes where we don't sometimes take the time to assess that simple question that we might get from somebody because we want to, we want to take them down our path. You know, we want to take them down our path. That's the way to go. And they ask a simple question and you say, no, we can't do it that way. And then maybe, I don't know, you sleep on it because you didn't fall asleep angry and you wake up next morning, you go, you know, (laughs) we could actually have done that and it wouldn't have been that hard. I know, I know I've done that. (laughs) I'm sure we will have. (laughs) So one of the reasons that I wanted to make, to make sure that I had you on the podcast is you wrote a great book last year. If I do say so myself, I did get to participate in that project. Thank you for your help. <laughs> and it's titled, it's not your money. It's your life. It's not just money. It's life. Not just money. They got it wrong. Right. I, I've forgotten already. About yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great concept. That seems to me to apply, maybe not directly, but pretty close to this whole idea that we've been talking about in terms of, you know, options and choices. And so I think that's part of it, right? Absolutely. And the major part of it is that most people don't understand how much money they need in retirement and how much they don't need so that they can actually live and spend some of their money because they're not going to run out of money. And so part of what I want people to understand is you have to enjoy your life. That doesn't mean be spendthrift. That doesn't mean spend way more than you should, but it means that you don't want to be the richest person in the cemetery. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. And I, I love in that, in the book, that story that you tell of the client who didn't feel like she was going to be able to go visit her son overseas because she just couldn't picture flying that long, you know, in a tiny little airplane seat. And you said, go first class. And she's going, I can't do that. 
I'm not rich, she I'm said. I'm not rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're rich enough. Yeah. <laughs> you can't afford that. Yeah. And so it, and, and you can finish the story. I mean, it wasn't just a matter of being able to afford it. It was the way her life changed, really, by by doing that. Well, yes, because it really happened not long after her husband passed away. So she was going to be traveling alone. And that too scared her. And so when I suggested that she could afford and she should go first class, her answer was, I'm not rich. And I said, try it, do it. And she came back and she was so excited. She said that was the best thing I ever did. And and it just made her so happy. And it also made her say that she could do this more often. She could visit them once or twice a year. And of course, she said, can I visit them once or twice a year? And of course, I said, yes, absolutely. But nonetheless, when it came time to book that next flight, she made that call and said, can I still afford to fly first class? <laughs> yeah. And she could. It's not that big of a She's not a spendthrift. So it was not that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes old habits die hard, right? Or we need, we just feel like we need that extra permission. Absolutely. And I think that is, you know, one of the big lessons that I learned in reading and helping you with the book is just that mentality is so different because, you know, we, sometimes we just think about the numbers, you know, we think about the numbers, you know, I have a client who says, you know, I want to get to X number of hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in assets. And it's just a number. It doesn't, you ask them why. And it's like, well, you know, I'm here now and that's the next number. And then, but like, is that going to make your life more enjoyable? Is that going to make your clients happier? And the same thing is true when you're serving your clients, you know, they can get, you know, really caught up on, you know, and, and we hear all the time, what's your number? Like when he talks about retirement, but the number isn't always the first answer or shouldn't be the first answer. Well, it's lifestyle because everybody's number is different because it's how do you live your life? And some people, in order to live the lifestyle they want to live, they need to have two homes and they need to have a couple of vacations. And some people don't need that. And that's okay as long as that's within your means but then once you get there, once you get to that number that says, I can have two homes and I can go on vacations, but then you keep striving for more and you keep not going on vacations because you're too busy collecting more money. Well, that doesn't work either. So the goal is to work towards the lifestyle you want to have, but also maintain a lifestyle while you're doing that too. Sometimes it's better to say, you know, so many people, especially when they're young, say, well, I want to retire at 50. And the answer is, well, do you want to live until you're 50 or do you want to work, 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 save, save, save until you're 50 and then retire and then start to live? And the answer is, well, no, you might want to just say, okay, I'll work till 62, but my life will be good until 62 and then I'll stop working and my life will still be good. Right. Right. So that's, again, the options and your choices and, and it's. You want to have a lifestyle, but you don't want to have a lifestyle. My life will start at age 67. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh. God forbid you don't get to age 67. That's not so good either. 
You know, you just made me think I was actually attending a funeral memorial service this past week, and I sat down next to somebody I hadn't seen in a while that uh, recently retired, and I congratulated him on his retirement. He's a month in, and he goes, you know, it was you know, after a month, it ought to be going pretty good, right? And he goes, what about you? When are you going to retire? And I thought, you know, when I was 30, I wanted to retire when I was 40. And now that I'm over 60, I really don't want to retire. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. And I think that's a big part of the point that you're making is, you know, it's your life part. It's not even, you've got to keep yourself from thinking about it's your life is only your life, you know, way out into the future, you know. Right. It's only your retired life. You've got to bring them both together because if you're just working for retirement so you can have fun then. Right. But the other problem is once you get there, you may not even be able to stop then. Right. Once you're such a big saver and you're saving and you're saving and you're saving and now it's time to stop work and spend. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah, They just can't say, oh my God, now it's time to spend. Wait, I worked so hard to make that pile big. How am I going to spend it? Right. Yeah. No, it's money is a funny thing if you don't put it in proportion to those other really, really, and more important things in life and how you can balance that out. But I think that's all part of that is because we live in a society where people want to make comparisons. And so some of that expectation that people have for what they'll do or how much money they need is they're comparing themselves to somebody that they probably don't really even know as much about as they think they do. Do you see that? Absolutely. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And they don't even really want what the other person has. They just think they do. Yeah. 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 I heard a, mm -hmm. a saying not too long ago, comparison is the thief of joy. Ah. And I think I keep telling myself I'm going to Google that and figure out who said it, but I haven't done it. Who said it? Yeah. But I think it's absolutely true. Are you ready to discover your true purpose, live with impact, and build an ever greater legacy? Then you need to make time for what truly matters most. Go to truestfan.com slash challenge to begin the free Truest Fan 7-Day Quick Start. So another really interesting thing about your career and your business, Beth, is that you started as a financial advisor, as a female financial advisor at a time when there weren't a whole lot of, of women, and there still probably aren't, relatively speaking, who do what you do in a time when it was difficult for many women to get into business or be entrepreneurs. Talk a, a little bit about kind of how you view that journey. What advice would you give to maybe a young woman who's listening and saying, you know, I'm thinking that I want to build a business and I want to, I want to skip some of the steps that Beth had to take. Well, I don't know about the skipping the steps because all the steps lead to where you want to go. So sometimes if you skip a step, you're not going to be where you are because all those steps made you who you are. Sure. So I started out as in my education as I was going to be a teacher, but I use that conversation of teacher as a financial planner. So I think that had I never learned to be a teacher, I wouldn't do what I do the way I do it. So it, it's hard to say, but 
the conversation that a lot of women have is, well, there's actually two big conversations. One is, I'm not really good in math. I'm not. If there were not a computer and a calculator, I would not be good in financial planning. However, however, financial planning isn't really math. It's really working with people and helping people. And a lot of women, they're fabulous at that. Being able to listen to somebody and talk to somebody and find out what they really want and then help them put together the life that gets them to where they want to be. And so it's don't let I can't do it stop you because it will stop you. And then another, another really big problem for women in financial planning is there is no salary, right? Right. You get paid either commissions. I get paid assets under management. So I get fees. So when the market goes down, I get paid less. And it's like, oh my God, I got paid less this quarter. And a lot of times women are afraid of that. Women are nurturers and to get a salary is like so helpful. And to be out there and say, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this on my own. What if I can't do it? And that's the other side that you have to take a step over and say, I can do this. I'm going to be really good at this. And that scared me the most, I think, going out there and saying, I can do this alone and I can support myself and I can support my family. And I'm going to tell you, there were a few times I stepped back and thought, well, maybe I should just get a job. And I'm so glad that I didn't let that fear stop me because I love what I'm doing. So I think women just have to step out of that, that shell and say, I can do it. Right. And, you know, I guess, and this is where it's tough because I'm not a woman. And so it's even, it's hard to pretend like I am, even though I have a wife and three daughters. You think I learned something. That's true. You're surrounded. <laughs> but that, that whole idea of the, of the concern over not having that consistent salary, that consistent paycheck, that's tough for a lot of people, maybe not most people, a lot of people. Absolutely. A lot of people. Yes. But I can see, I can see though what you're saying because it's, if your personality is such, whether you're a man or a woman, and maybe more typical for a woman is I want to have some security, some you know, sense of everything will be okay. Even if, you know, when things get rocky, it's harder and you have to fight your way past that. So there's a believing in yourself. That's a big part of being a truest fan is be believing in yourself, being a truest fan of yourself really becomes really becomes critical. Yes. Yes, it is. And you do have to be your own fan because sometimes you're your only fan. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you need to step up. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes that's the first step is just when when you begin to believe in yourself, then you can start to see that those other people that you think may not believe in you or support you really, really, really do care and really do want to help. But you have to be open to that possibility. Right. Absolutely. So one of the other things that I admire about your business is, and, and I think maybe this goes even back to the fact that we were talking about, or you were talking about raving fans 
a little while ago and that your belief that you want your clients to be truest fans, raving fans of your business. And you are so good at coming, you and your team are so good with coming up with ideas for uh, making your clients understand how important they are to you. You know, maybe can you share maybe a couple of things that you've done in the last year and kind of where that motivation comes from? So one of the things I'm about to do is, well, I always have a client appreciation event. COVID has caused it to be rather different. But this year, we're actually doing a client appreciation event. And this is my year of the family. <laughs> it's my year of stressing how important family is and, and working with my clients' children and all of that. So we're having a family event and we're going to go to a local farm and we're doing apple picking and a picnic. Nice. And we're inviting all our clients and children and or grandchildren and we're going to have a big day of apple picking. So it's really, it's really trying to incorporate it all. But the other thing we try to do is we try to do something. We try to give gifts that are for the person, you know, not just send them a box of cookies, but try to find out. And it's very important for my staff to listen and me as well, but to listen when we're talking to our clients and say, oh my goodness, one of my clients was going on a, a bike trip and they were traveling. I have a lot of clients that are in cycle clubs and they were traveling, not motorcycles, bicycles, and they were traveling across country almost. I don't know exactly where, but we knew at the time. And so we bought this book of these places you should stop when you're going on that type of a trip. And he called up and he was so excited that we actually heard what he said and got him something for that. So again, it's it's just trying to listen and trying to be there and, and do something that lets everybody know that we're there for them. Yeah, that's awesome. And as you were describing the apple picking, I'm thinking, gosh, Beth is basically having a like a family reunion of her client family and their families. It's 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 just a great image to think about. But then, yeah. you know, you take that a step way further when you start to think about what are those individual things that you can do for the client. Because, you know, I'll get questions all the time from, you know, advisors like, what's a good thing to send my clients for an end of the year gift, you know, and, you know, they end up being the same things and they're like logo heavy. It's like, you know, they've got to put their logo on it because, right. you know, it can't just send them something nice. It's got to be nice and make sure they always remember where they got it. And that's like, no, if, if you're going to give because you just want to show somebody how much they appreciate, don't expect to get something back. It'll probably come back, but if it doesn't, that's, um, you know, that's okay too. You know, for our client event, we always have a gift that we give with a logo, Yeah, but not for these random acts of kindness. Right. Yeah. You know, these random acts of kindness. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that we do is, is I'm very also into pets and how important animals are to people. And I have some clients that their pets are their children. So we're also very aware of if a pet dies or things like that. So we'll mm -hmm. send a memorial for the pet. And, you know, it's, it's something that I would want. So it's something that I would have us do. 
But one of the things that we did that really was so minor, and it turned out to really be so, the client appreciated so much, was one of our clients was on a business trip internationally, and she had to actually go to the dentist and have her tooth pulled in a foreign country because she had a toothache. And it was really not a pleasant thing to do. And really, and it wasn't in an English speaking country either. Mm. And so it wasn't pleasant at all. She told me about it when she came home. And so I sent her a travel dental kit. (laughs) Now it wasn't going to help her toothache. Right. Right. But she called me up and she went, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it's just, I mean, what did it cost us? $6? I mean, it was nothing really. And she was like so excited that she got this little toothbrush and toothpaste. And it was almost like what a dentist would give you, but it was a little snap on kip that you put in your luggage. So. Yeah, that's funny. That's the type of gifts we like giving. It's a great story. And again, that's just kind of part of, you know, in my lingo, being a truest fan is recognizing the people that you care about and trying to make them smile. My favorite of the truest fan lessons is smiles and kind words go a long way. And I think that's what you're trying to do with things like that is you're saying, you know, the $6 wasn't the real value of that, the trust that you built in the uh, I was talking with somebody earlier today that thinks that we should be thinking more about our business in relation to the relationship capital that we build. So not just the financial capital we build when we make our businesses worth more money, but those things that we do every day to add value to people's lives builds that relationship capital. And I think that's exactly what you were talking about. So Beth, we're running towards the end of our time. I do ask Three more questions. First two kind of together. Three more. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, just kind of warning you, warning you. The first two kind of close together. You know, so what does an ideal or good client look like for your practice? And if somebody's interested in learning more about what you do because they fit that picture, how would they contact you? Okay. So everyone always tells financial advisors they should be very rigid in the type of client that they should have and they should have a true ideal client. And I haven't been able to really, really do that because people come into my office and then I like them and then I want them to be my client because I go, oh, I can help you, right? Right. But basically, I really do have two typically different types of client. And the one is the corporate executive who's busy, 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 and they need somebody to make sure their finances are being handled well, they're investing the right amount of money, they have the right, even to the point where sometimes they don't even have an umbrella policy. I mean, they're just like, so busy in their lifestyle. And, or they, you know, with Matthew being a CFA, should they be keeping company stock? Or do they have too much company stock? And they just need somebody who's who's there, almost like their own private chief financial officer. And so so that is a very good type of a client for us because we can really, really help them. But the other type of a client is that type that's who I want in my book, the type of person that we can help them live the life they want in retirement so that it's the people that are nearing retirement, getting towards retirement, and they want to be able to enjoy their retirement. And that's the people who we can really help. 
And so it's very, it's more general, sure. but it's really that way. Right. And those, for those clients, it's a two way street. You really enjoy them and they really enjoy you. And mm-hmm. that's why you, um, why you move forward. And we help them with their children. And yeah, so it works well. And did I answer the second part? No. Was there? No. Okay. What was the second part? What's the best way to, uh, for somebody to reach out to you? Okay. So there's lots of ways to reach out with me, to me, but probably the best way would be going to my website. Because if you go to my website, you see everything. You see our phone numbers and our emails and my book and my podcast. So it's easternplanning.com. And you can really find all about me, my son, Matt, who's my partner, and Eastern Planning. Right. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll make sure that we put that link along with a couple of others. So maybe even a link to your book so people can pick up a copy on Amazon or their favorite book site. And my podcast now is the name of my book. Yeah. So we have our podcast that's like talking the lessons of my book. (laughs) Yeah. So remind people, I think we should call that out. What's your podcast called? It's not just money, it's life. It's not just money, it's life podcast. Mm -hmm. What, half a dozen episodes in at this point? Well, Half a dozen episodes that I, Matt and I have done, but I think there's only three out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, just like this one, we record them early, so yeah. we aren't trying to do it at, at the last minute. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a last question, but I want to tee it up by kind of reminding the listeners of some of the great nuggets of wisdom that you've shared with us. And then I'm going to ask you, what else? Is there anything else that you <laughs> you want to add? So that's like my the throw in. But I love you start out by saying one of those things you learned early on was from your dad, which was never go to bed angry. And you've really kind of translated that into beyond just not going to bed angry, trying not to hold grudges and be negative, that that's really important to you. You talked about the importance in helping clients navigate their financial lives, that the more that you can help them understand their options and choices, the better decisions they're going to make and the happier they're going to be. So that's like, that's a really, I think, important thing that we don't talk to or talk about often enough. And then the title of your book, the title of your podcast, it's not just money, it's life by itself is just a really important piece of wisdom, something that you should, we should all remember as we're going about life, that it's easy to get caught up in the trappings and forget about living in a way that really fulfills us. Absolutely. So what else? What is there anything else you want to kind of throw on top of that, that uh, might tie a bow? Yeah. So when I say it's not just money, it's life. Sometimes we have to look at it the other way and it's not just life, it's money. Because, you know, everyone always says something like, well, money's not that important to me. And unfortunately, sometimes without money, life doesn't happen the way it is. So you really have to learn how to get that fair amount of both. You really have to learn how to say, I'm going to work towards saving money and I'm also not going to stop living my life. Right. So it's really a combination of the two. Yeah, it's a balance. It's not mm-hmm. this pie in the sky, you know, thing. You like go out and do whatever you want and don't worry about how much money you 
borrow or waste. It's, I mean, there's, there's still a balance in there, but remembering to put the life piece in front of the money, or at least the life question in front of the money so that you know that you're on the right path. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Beth, that is a great way to put a bow on the uh, on this episode. Thank you so much for being here. And oh, you're quite welcome. thank you for all that you've taught me through the years that we've been working together, because it's truly a pleasure. Well, the feeling is equal because I couldn't be doing half of the things I'm doing without you. So I appreciate you immensely. Okay. And one of them would be having written a book. Well, thank you for saying that. Well, and I guess maybe we should put a plug in at the end. If you're thinking about writing a book, you should write one. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Beth.